both had the sun block out of our sky, right? It was a red sky. It was terrifying. The sky wasn't black. It was a dark red, but it was so dark that it was like as if it were night. It was 111 degrees before the fire started. And yeah. now we're like a nuclear winter where we're like shivering. It's put me in a great mood though. Because <laughs> I can't really go inside or outside. Can't really yeah. breathe any air. It's a real blast. I have similar things, but on top of that, I have this. Oh, a broken foot. Ankle that I rolled, which <laughs> maybe I'm going to see the doctor later today. So maybe it will get better. You know, it will. And we got to be positive i have kind of like this real sense of despair and i'm sure i'm not the only one and i'm trying to get pumped for this one of the highlights of my week is when we do this and i think that's the purpose or one of the points of us doing this is not only to bring joy to ourselves the thousands of listeners but also to hundreds and thousands maybe millions of it's listeners. probably the majority of the population listens to this yeah i heard that like when the podcast comes out all the restaurants are empty because everybody's at home <laughs> Um, that's actually from an interview Alan Alda said about the finale to MASH. That's probably true. Maybe we should move on and get started with Yeah, yeah. This is Every Damn Thing, and it's a podcast where we rank everything. I'm Phil. And I'm Jake. And we're here to guide you through the list of everything. Each episode, we take one or more items and tell you where they rank on the list of everything. The list can be viewed by going to everydamnthing.net. You can find a link in the show notes. So we've known each other since before World War II. Long ago, while looking for something to print in our right-wing Crazy Talk magazine. If I remember it right, this was just after nuclear war was averted. Yeah, and we looked in our mailbox to find something to write about, and I found a little book with a ranked list of everything in the universe. Immediately after seeing the list, we committed it to memory, but a blue naked guy. A creature that was more a god than man. He snatched it out of our hands with a comical yoink, and then the naked guy. More god than man. He erased our memory, leaving us with only fractured memory of the list, like old faded photographs. So we can now only access the list little bits at a time through an extremely scientific process that resembles shooting the shit. Through this process, podcasted for your entertainment and edification, we will gradually uncover the list of every damn thing. The list currently has 29 items with prints at the top and QAnon at the bottom. The national debt and band t-shirts are in the middle. Yeah, so that gives you an idea of what the list looks like right now with its 29 items. Today, we are going to do something a little bit different. It's a special edition. Yeah, there's thematically similar topics that were all submitted by Thadalaru, who has submitted quite a few topics to us and is also, so far, our greatest sponsor. All right, let's talk about it. Thad submitted to us Three things, The Watchmen comic book or graphic novel, however sure. you want to say it, uh, The Watchmen movie and The Watchmen TV series from last year, 2019, which was on HBO. You know, I teach my kid not to say graphic novel because that's what yeah, they call me at school. I'm like, you don't have to call them graphic novel, man. Let's be real. You could call it a comic book and it's fine. A graphic novel is just a way of saying comic book that has more syllables to it, right? Yeah. It, and it's a, it really comes from a place into... of deep insecurity of the medium. Also not understanding about the medium of a novel. Yeah, yeah. There's similarities. There are some comics and comic stories. Watchmen is an example of something that I would say that it's in the genre or the format of a novel in that it's a self-contained story of a certain length. I can only enjoy novels if there's a chain of evidence. Like if I know, it, you know what I mean? If there's some part of the book where they tell me I found these letters and this is what the letters are like epistolary type stuff like frankenstein like the beginning of frankenstein yeah yeah, yeah. i if, if it doesn't have that i'm like what is this why are these words written who are these characters what is this it's just made up i can't i can't accept it you know to me that's what makes something a novel we're doing a whole episode dedicated to the watchman stuff because not only did that request them but also at the end of this week on sunday is the emmys and the series was nominated for 26 emmys oh. so it's, it's timely as well oh i didn't wonder i wondered why it was timely i didn't know i also listener we tricked you it's been a long con but surprise surprise we're mainly an award 
Nerd Show podcast. Yeah, that's mostly, so that's most, who mostly what, what we talk about. Uh, red carpet talk, you know, who yeah. said, what, ranked the speeches, uh, gossip, which, which ones went on too long. Snubs and flubs. Snubs and flubs, predictions. That's mostly yeah. what we want to talk about. All right, so let's talk about it. Which one are we going to do first? Let's do them chronologically. Uh, so All we'll right. start with the comic. So the comic is probably the one that I prepared to talk about the most just because I have the most experience with it. It's been around since I was 10 years old. It came out in 1986. Um, it was written by Alan Moore. You had Dave Gibbons drawing it. It's a, a deconstructive story about superheroes, but also kind right. of about comics in general. It, it's like a landmark comic, and it's like it's a really big deal. How can I describe it? It's the first real deconstruction of the superhero genre. It's the first great one. Well... Think about it. There's like it came out after Squadron Supreme. That's a weird thing to think about, but it did. Squadron Supreme being another comic, and Squadron Supreme is also like as far as comics from the '80s on the topics of superheroes. There's really yeah. Good. I don't, um, I don't want to get sidetracked, but it's not as revolutionary in terms of like design and a lot of other things. There's stuff in Watchmen that is like is so influential. There's things in it yeah. that have been copied so many times that have been copied in different mediums, have been used elsewhere. Like you see something, you're like, oh, I get it. Like Watchmen, or it there's things that where it plays with time, and it's it's hard to read yeah. it with fresh eyes. Now, what I think is really really suffers from is Watchmen is like the first comic sometimes people read. You know, like oh yeah. And what's weird is because it was written at like the especially basic, as adults. I think you enjoy Watchmen more if you grew up reading like crappy superhero comics, or just not even crappy. But if you just if you have some experience with them and of like if you know a little bit about the medium, not a lot, but just like what you would have from being exposed to it growing up and reading these comics, right? One problem that it suffers from, first of all, let me say, I'm kind of in the tank for it. I think it's great. I love it. I, I was the dude right. where it's like, I was like, got my girlfriend in college to read it. It was like, no, look, it's real literature. Yeah. You know, that yeah. that dude. Yeah. And, and, I was the dude who approached my college English teacher at a graduation party afterwards at our friend's house while I was drunk to try to convince her to incorporate it into her oh, yeah. classes. Into the curriculum yeah you're like yeah. look this she didn't she wasn't buying it at all well the thing about watchmen is like it kind of goes through time and it's about i don't even know how would you it's a it's a murder mystery but who actually did the murder is kind of beside the point and it's about showing you basically a breakdown of all these superhero tropes and how they don't really work and and it's kind of meant by the writer alan moore to be as like the final nail in the coffin of of superheroes which is funny because yeah. it, what it what it did was it it was kind of like re-energized the genre it pivoted it changed it into something else the genre of superheroes that mean you were talking about right now the vast majority of people including most of our listeners they're thinking of a genre that's post that was influenced that's post watchman and we're speaking of something that is pre-watchman more like pulp novels and when you read it now it's like commentary on on stuff that isn't doesn't exist anymore it's a deconstruction but it's i don't know and it has a lot of love in it too there's a lot of it's oh not, yeah it's extremely loving yeah it's it's kind of brutal in some ways and it's dark but it's yeah. it, you can tell that the guy like knows what he's talking about and he appreciates it and it's based on i mean some background it's it's loosely based on these charlton characters which are the characters that dc had just bought and they didn't let him use the actual charlton characters because they thought oh we might want to use these we might want to use blue beetle or something for you yeah. know for some other thing so he changed the names charlton was a comic company in the well, i guess probably the 60s and 70s that was like a they'd been around for a long time and they event they finally had got bought by the 80s yeah. like 70s and 80s there's pretty much two comics companies uh, marvel and dc and i think yeah. people know who those are now 
Oh yeah, and sorry. At, at I, this time, it's like... DC was kind of the underdog at this point, even though they had the few big characters like Superman and Wonder Woman. They were still and Batman. They were still underselling, I think, compared to Marvel. And so they were acquiring a bunch of intellectual properties from yeah. other comics and that had companies. Been, it seems like that had been their style for a long time. Like they bought, yeah, I think so. Fawcett, or they they bought these other companies back in the day. Yeah. But so they had acquired it, but it didn't really fit. And they had also been getting British writers. So like these are writers who came up in British science fiction comics. This would have been like you know 2000 AD, Judge Dredd these kind yeah. of things they were hiring a lot of these guys to come to america and it's like i guess they're writing for a little more uh, a little older audience a little more sophisticated audience with which is like that also was happening in america which is like comic book readers age was going up so right. it's like because right. there's the direct market and because they are they're being written for an older market it used to be like they would say you got to do a full reboot every few years because you know it's a new bunch of kids who never read the old comics or you know like the idea was, yeah. it, was it was cyclical and they, they, they would phase out after four or five years once the kids are teens and they're chasing girls or whatnot you know right you mentioned the direct market another thing about this is that originally it was published in single issues it's a 12 issue limited series it was published in single issues yeah and then it was sold only in the direct market meaning at comic book stores and it was sold specifically It's funny because like, there's is a newsstand figure prominently adults. in like, the story there's True, yeah. There's nudity in it. Like, it was like a comic that was only for mature readers, uh, uh, which was sort of a new thing at the time, unless you're talking about like straight up pornography or like, yeah, yeah. or like Zap Magazine, oh, like weird, like counterculture Art stuff. Or something, a savage sort of Yeah, exactly. So then it's like, it has a cool design where the panels are, it's a nine panel grid that's like relentless right. with it, right? So. But we're talking about sort of genre before the superheroes, right? And now we're getting into the medium, which is different than genre. Medium being the comics medium and how sure. the story is told. So I don't want to get too sidetracked. Let, I just want to say it's yeah. revolutionary work in a lot of ways. Right. Very influential. I loved it when I read it. I haven't read it in some time, so I don't know how well it holds up. There's a couple of different moments in it that are just fantastic. There's one thing where, you know, they confront the bad guy or the villain kind of of the piece. Right. And right. he gives them their evil plan, and they're like, oh, when are you going to do this plan? He's like, oh, I wouldn't tell you about it if I hadn't done yeah. it already. I did it half yeah, an hour yeah. ago. You can't stop me. Like, it's already done. He's like, yeah, I'm not a old movie villain or something. Like, this is how it is. And I, I really love that. And also, there's a pirate story that's mixed in. It's right. kind of like... That's the one thing about Watchmen. It's sort of... I wouldn't call it mixed media, but it is sort of in a way, or at least... Yeah, there's a, there are transitions. There's mixing genres, and then there's also, um, in between each chapter, there's back matter material worked in. Sure, sure. It takes place in a world where there are real superheroes, so you think, oh, if there are real superheroes, people probably wouldn't have superhero comics. Maybe the, the medium would have gone a slightly different way, so pirate comics are real popular. So there are these pirate comics that people read, and the pirate comics are like, there's thematic similarities between the right. comic it go, that runs parallel to it. And then there's a lot of stuff yeah. of like... The narration from the pirate story is over the images. Overlapped with the narration. And you've yep. seen that stuff in film. Like, you watch yeah. movies and there's lots of, like, graphic match transitions or fade-ins. Like, sound bridges. Yeah. But you hadn't... That was, like, a new thing for comics. Or if it, was, if it wasn't, like, I hadn't seen that kind of thing before, you know? This is, like... The great thing about that pirate story, too, is it's being read by... A background character. Yeah. It goes throughout the story. Every so often you just, the story goes back to this kid who's sitting on this corner by this newsstand who's reading this comic. And then the you as a reader start reading the comic. And it's very interesting. And then you like, like you said, it's sort of dovetailed or overlaps, at least narration wise with the other story. Yeah. And yeah. I, I suppose it, there's themes. Like it provides you with like sort of a sense of dread. And then you got it. in this comic, right? This comic was like a phenomenon upon release. It was a big deal. Yeah. And it had a big effect on comics, meaning like, Everybody wanted to sort of ape it, and they kind of, in my opinion, I'm, I'm sure in a lot of people's opinion, kind of took the wrong lesson from it. If there's one thing that people in general are good at, it's taking the wrong lesson from something, you know? Yeah. They don't really copy the thing that 
that makes it great they make things darker they make things grittier they yeah. make things gloomier yeah. so that was kind of like the trend that things went on for for yeah. years what we call the grim and gritty era of comics yeah well, that's short term it also influenced media other media especially film and tv much later in ways that i think are good they opened those media up to the richness of the stories that can be mined in comics and it also made people take comics more seriously so then later things like the blondie and dagwood movie yeah no or ghost world oh yeah yeah totally could totally. be made and taken yeah. more seriously okay so i I think I'm prepared to rank it. I wanted to make a couple more notes on it. One note is that it is uh, listed in Time Magazine's list of the 100 best novels. It's the only graphic novel that is on that list. There are other lists that are higher than that list. Sure, like the 10 best comics list. Oh. Time made that as well, but um, uh. this is the only thing that is on both lists. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Do you think it's the best comic then? Mm, yeah, probably. So we talked about the use of genre in it, how it comments on, deconstructs, inverts genre that specifically being the superhero genre but it also is like and you touched on this a little bit it's about as good an example of how to use the medium of comics as a storytelling medium yeah because it couldn't be done in, a, in another i mean and we're going to get to that but like yeah and it's really masterful like i mean i, I don't want to get too much into like the the main elements of comic storytelling but like the main thing about it is it well there's you know dialogue and narrative at least in most cases it uses visual medium to depict time and space graphically and there's very few examples especially as well-constructed examples of the use of this medium and i mean that mainly goes i think to dave gibbons his composition and his it's great it's but incredible. if you looked at the original scripts that alan moore would write i mean they're detailed yeah so it's a collaborative it's, it's alan yeah. moore well, it's a collaborative uh, writing it out it, coming up with it and dave gibbons executing i think it. that the comparison a lot of people make usually is with citizen kane and i think that's a good example I like Citizen Kane over the years. It's maybe uh, maybe overrated, maybe not. I don't know. It's a little pretentious at times. It gets a lot of love, but then you look at like what it did in you terms of storytelling. Yeah. There are things that it does in storytelling, just like Citizen Kane does, which are like which nobody had been doing before, right? Yeah. Which nobody had been doing in that medium really, and showed you what was possible. Showed you like, oh, these yeah. things are really impressive. Like not even thinking about the story, not even thinking about the characters, just that you're telling a story this way. Yeah. And it's just the use of the storytelling tools that they have. And those tools uh, and, had always and, existed. That's the crazy thing. It's like, because well, comics are just ink and paper. Comics are very similar to the medium of film in that, again, they're like depicting things with images and depicting But I'm saying like mostly time and space. To do slow motion in a movie, you had to yeah. come up with a way to crank the camera differently. Or, you know what I mean? To do yeah. a dissolve shot in a movie, there's things you had to do. Yeah. To do this stuff in a comic, it always could have been done because it was all it is is just ink yeah. and paper right so yeah you, but although people hadn't like up until like I, I guess the 19th century mainly there hadn't been a lot of using these drawings to tell things in sequential order oh yeah yeah that's, that's why the, what, a lot of times they call this sequential art because the aspect of time hadn't been used in illustration to depict oh yeah things. like you see a comic and there's people talking but it was all like at once kind of or you know yeah. there's no borders like borders are a crazy thing yeah so yeah not to say they invented borders here there are comics that are just as revolutionary then which would be like the first sequential comic comics hieroglyphics right, right, or something right. like that but yeah. this is a big deal because it it brings in a really sophisticated kind of storytelling and one it, example of that is right at the very beginning and it starts actually with the cover of issue number one that's a zoom out from an extreme close-up of the comedian's smiley oh, face yeah. button and it zooms out like in a really cinematic way which i mean that button's sitting in it is it just gutter. taking film stuff and applying it to comics or are there things it that is are to a degree it's hard to like i mean that is definitely it does a lot of 
taking film stuff and applying it to comics. Although, like a zoom out like that, I think that's a method that is developed in film, but I don't think it's intrinsic to film. I think film just used it first. But there's yeah, no yeah. reason that that's a film thing more than a comic thing. I and just, in fact, I'm just kind of like, curious about it because I'm saying we're saying that one thing that makes it so special, it does things that other things in its medium didn't do. Yeah. yeah. In Watchmen specifically, like it's very cinematic. And I think that I'm that ready to rank it. I, I really am. Okay. Yeah. We probably should because we've gone on long already about it. We got two more things to rank. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure. I know what, for me, it's going to go somewhere very near the top of the list. Comics are one of my favorite things. The medium is one of my number one things that have brought me enjoyment through life. Yeah. Similar to you, I don't know if I learned to read off of comics, but it certainly got me interested. I in didn't learn to read off Watchmen. And then, again, that's the problem, I think, with Watchmen is, well, there's, the is there's a lot Watchmen of people is... who that's the first thing they read of that kind of stuff. Right, right. It's like the first Western you watch was Unforgiven. There's a lot of context that it's not as much fun that way. If you didn't read a stack of these growing up, it just it just, it seems like it's really unsuited if now that it's the comic. Yeah. For Watchmen to be the comic, it doesn't seem like it's really suited to that. Not to take anything away to, from it. Teaching kids to read? No, meaning like if someone's going to read one comic with superheroes in it, right? it probably shouldn't be Watchmen. Not to say that it's not the best one, but probably better to read like a random Spider-Man comic from 1983 or something. Depends on the context. In 2020, yeah, you're right. If I was talking to another adult and I was trying to get them to read one comic, especially after like people have got superhero fatigue and all this shit, you know, then I might not point them to Watchmen. Although yeah, yeah. I still will say that if somebody is interested in the medium of comics, not specifically superheroes i would still say the absolute pinnacle the best example of using this medium to tell a story is this comic what about like um, charlie brown and he's trying to kick the football that's also there this is more on the intellectual side the difference between this and charlie brown is this is long form and charlie brown isn't yeah yeah it's short form and it's i get it um, um so, uh, so you say towards the top of the list the thing that i think is easiest to compare it to is the intro to back that ass up which i think okay there's a lot more going on in this than there is in the intro to back that ass up but Kind of like intro to back that ass up. It's a perfect work. It's influential work. It's brought brings a lot of people joy. It's been remixed in various ways, like I'm sure intro to back yeah. that ass up has. Its legacy is a bit uneven in some ways because it was imitated so much. And it's like yeah. if somebody read that now, the the twist doesn't seem so exciting because you've seen it in. I think the same thing happened in a Mission Impossible Dude, movie. Like, you know. Yeah, you see it in so many things. A lot of yeah. superhero stuff. Like, much of The Incredibles, which was one of the first, like, big superhero stories that was told oh, yeah. outside of comics. It, it's really Watchmen influence. It, like, straight up cribs st a lot of stuff from it. And it was, we're going to get into watching a movie in a yeah. second. but So that's where I'm looking at it, where I think it's a great thing. It's fantastic. I would say it's probably better than Intro to Back That Ass Up. So that's the floor. I would I'm say that, at. too. But I also am looking. So Intro to Back That Ass Up is at number six out of 29. Yeah. I'm looking at Onions above it, and I kind of want to put Watchmen above Onions. Uh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay. Well, onions are also remixed and used in a lot of different ways. and you. Yeah, I just imagine if somebody were to ask me, could I have erased onions from my life or erase Watchmen from my life? It's close, man. Onions are good. Yeah. Onions do a lot of things. I know you like the world of ideas more, and I think yeah. I feel like I'm rooted in the physical world more. I, You know what? I'm going to go along with you. I'm going to say Watchmen goes over. Okay. So that moves Onions to number six, and Watchmen is there at number five. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a break, and I think maybe quickly do the other two things. All right. We're back. So let's talk about the second thing. Yeah, so it's the Watchmen movie, um, directed by Zack Snyder. came out in 2009. It's an adaptation of the comic book. Yeah, it's pretty faithful, I guess you could say. There are a lot of the shots in the movie are right out of the comic. 
They are, yeah, which is... Almost too it's, much. It's hard for me to say. Like, It's really hard for me to judge this movie objectively as a movie without factoring the, the fact that it's an adaptation of a comic that I really like. So there's certain things about it that I think that like take away from it as a movie that I really enjoy, such as like they'll like reframe some of the frames from the comic. And like me being such a big Watchmen fan, I kind of eat that up. I, yeah, I but this movie... to me, it's like you're watching something being translated into another medium. So it's like... Oh, I remember this. Oh, this is just from that. Oh, it's like I'm looking at this thing and that, but it's moving and they're real actors. And so the composition of it looks really cool, but he makes it look real cool. That's one of the things is like the people right. are look more glamorous. They look cooler. They do this awesome fighting and you're like, wow, I don't remember yeah. this kind of action in the comic. You know, really. Yeah, good. especially literally the fight scenes. There's action, what you could call action sequences in the comic. It might be considered like action, but like less punching and kicking mm -hmm. um, that are done really well. It's one of the great things about the comic is that like it's so good at depicting action and things happening over time. That aside, the, the actual fight scenes in the comic are not always that great. There's some that are um, like there's one that happens in the alley with the Night Owl and Silk Spectre. In the comic, it's not that great. It's really short, and in the movie, it's really stretched out, and it's kind of too... Because that's what Zack Snyder's good at, right? So he, he this is the guy who made 300, and he made uh, Sucker Punch. Right, and later he made, like, the... The Super... Of, made one, and and I kind of get the idea, like, okay, somebody was going to make a Watchmen movie, right? And there, there's a couple different ways it could have gone. It could have been basically what you got, which I think almost think is, like, the best-case scenario... Because the other op alternatives would have been uh, maybe Richard Donner had made it and it was like le basically like Lethal Weapon 2, but with some of the character names from Watchmen, right? Yeah. And then another way it could have gone would have been like if Terry Gilliam had made it, right? And it had been sort of similar to the comic and, and dealt with right. some or, of the similar Tim, themes. Tim Burton maybe. maybe too would be a good example where... Oh yeah, Tim Burton or someone like... But, or maybe someone who was going to confront some of the ideas in it. But, whereas but what not... he got was something where it got to, it gets some of the look right. But then the other problem is the things that are revolutionary in a comic are not revolutionary when you do them in a movie. And there's a lot of stuff that's like particular to the genre and particular to the medium which are, don't mean anything special in a movie. So the problem with the movie is it's divorced from its context so it doesn't really work as well. One thing I do remember, right. I like, they changed the ending a bit in the movie. And I remember one thing was when he reveals his evil plan, instead of saying, I'm not an old movie villain, he says, oh, I'm not an old comic book villain. I'm, I'm oh, not. does he? I missed that. I just remember uh, that. And I thought, oh, that that's pretty cool how that, you know, but there's some good performances in it too. There the, are. The, like the, the guy, he was the guy from Bad News Bears. He plays Rorschach in this. And I thought that he did a great job. I think that guy did a really great job. I think of all of them, really is perfectly cast and and his voice is great and then he's not quite as ugly as Warshak, but i mean it's a movie so nobody's gonna be as ugly as anybody in it yeah yeah billy credup also is great as uh i mean most most of the casting is actually quite, yeah it's all it, quite good. i mean but this thing they get the look right and they get more or less the story beats of it right but then you realize that the, what made the comic so great wasn't really in the the look of it or the story beats well you realize i mean it, it's yeah, honestly I, like that that's the problem with it to me and and so it doesn't really mean anything to me. Like I watched it when it came out, but never really thought about it after that. And now it's years later. I mean, if it's you, like any adaptation, like any you, movie adaptation of say like novels, for example, like, I mean, I've never yeah. seen an adaptation of Frankenstein that captures the that. I mean, it's almost not an adaptation. It's almost like a translation. It's like, well, it, yeah, but there's so much it's like not included in it. That's in the comic book. For example, the pirate oh, story yeah, that, within the story yeah, of yeah. the pirate. And although they did release an animated thing that was that pirate story that was that you could watch online or something like that. But that's different than I um, guess I just feel like think about your favorite song, right? Think yeah. about Raspberry Beret, which is your favorite song. I think we've, we've not, established, but, but 
Yeah. Raspberry Beret is a great song, but like, would you want to see necessarily a movie based on Raspberry Beret? No, and- but so Raspberry Beret is a song that I really like to listen to on my iPad. I also might like to hear an acapella version of it live, you know, like I think I, that's I a better comparison. And so comics and film are similar enough media that I think that I would say that it's even natural for there to be adaptations of comics. Especially because, I mean, movies are built off of uh, storyboards. storyboards. And storyboards are basically comics. Watchmen is, like, much of it, especially the main storyline, is, yeah, essentially a, a well-put-together storyboard in a lot I of parts. I think Watchmen and, and would that's... have worked better as, as a TV show. Uh, honestly, I think that, like, the equivalent to the Watchmen comic would be a movie like Unforgiven. Okay. It comes at the tail end of a whole era of a particular genre that had dominated this medium. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like there had been a lot of Westerns and a lot of Western movies, and that had been like maybe the dominant form of entertainment in the era previous. And now you're looking back on it with in, in a bittersweet way, but it's sort of, what's the word? Elegiac, right? Yeah. Elegiac? I, I always pronounce sure, this word yeah. wrong. I'm not sure the pronunciation of that word either. So I'm saying like that's the, that would be the equivalent of the watch. So the, so the Watchmen movie, like it can't possibly reach that level. Right. It just yeah, can't. you're right. Be- and also because it's coming actually at the towards the beginning of an era of people, things talking about superheroes, like there could be a great superhero movie to come out. You know, we're in this era when like every movie is a superhero movie. There's that's the only movies yeah, yeah. That, that, that can be made anymore, it seems like. Yeah. Right. Because there's no mid tier movies. So someday somebody's going to make some movie that talks about them, you know, in some kind of right, right, yeah. or... is essentially the, the Watchmen comic of superhero movies. Yeah. Maybe people have already started to do that. In fact, I think that is happening, but it's not in theatrical release. It's in TV, which I think brings us back to the point is you were saying that the Watchmen would be better as a series. And I think you're right. One of the main things about the medium of comics is that it's historically has been episodic, broken into chapters or stories that come out every so often. And so and the thing about a movie is that like you get that drip drip this movie actually made quite an effort um, especially during the, the first half of it or the first two-thirds of it to sort of follow the the chapter episodic nature of at least the main story but it's hard because it the ended up being two hours three, long so yeah it's around three hours long so and yeah I mean, this would have been much better as either maybe three hour and a half long movies or even better as a series um, or which, even better than that like a 12 issue comic like, right. Although I don't think that like, I don't think that I, I, we should exclude the idea of adaptations. Uh, look, but you're right. It's it's best as a comic. You know, some things are good as musicals. Some things don't work as musicals. And you know, so anyway, I'm ready to rank this. I'm ready to rank this movie. One thing about the movie that's crazy, just crazy to me, uh-huh. and I know that it's his decision, is that there's so much that's lifted directly from the comic, dialogue, narration, and it's insane that Alan Moore is not credited at all. Oh, he didn't. In, I bet he didn't want it. I bet he refused. He didn't. It. He, he refused yeah. to be. But it's madness that his name doesn't appear anywhere because I mean, he's still like the main creative force behind that movie. Yeah, that is kind of weird that they that they couldn't somehow figure out a way to. But I mean, if he doesn't want it, he doesn't want it. It probably would if they would have put his name on it. In he didn't want it. You know, he has like magic he does on him. You know, he. Yeah, yeah, true. He is. He is a sorcerer. For those who don't know, what he did was he signed this deal when he wrote the comic that it said that he gets the rights to the comic when it goes out of print. But because it was always popular, uh, they kept it in print since 1986. Yeah. They never, it never went out of print, so the, the, the paperback of it. So as a result, so he signed this contract. He had a little bit of, you know, he thought he was negotiating a smart contract because things don't yeah. stay in print. Like that had never happened before. Part of the purpose of him changing the characters from the original Charleston characters to the characters that were sort of based on them so that, so that DC could continue using the original characters and these characters would be different properties. Yeah, so that's some evil stuff. And I, so I kind of feel like just enjoying and giving them another couple bucks so that they can, you know, they, I feel like they did some treachery to him. 
Yeah, yeah. In general, the creators of comics, especially any properties yeah. previous to around 1990, those guys were work for hire and they don't legally... Yeah. I mean, even now, get... anybody... Yeah. Or like the people who lay... Like if you buy a, Mot a Motown record, right? Like the guys who lay down the drums on that don't get it, don't get money. True, and, true, true. And so well, like they work don't, for hire in general... They don't necessarily write those parts, but yeah, you're right. Work yeah, for hire I'm in just general, saying like um, it, we, work for yeah. hire is, is pretty messed up, so... Anyway, so let's rank this. The Watchmen movie, where do you say it goes? It's tricky for me because it's are hard for me movies? to rank it as just a movie. There are no other movies. The only, you like the movies, and to you're too soft to. on movies. You say, like, oh, it was in focus, the seat was comfortable, so I love the movie. Uh, no, I just like movies, and so I'm more likely to have an enjoyable experience watching a not great movie because I have more patience with movies in general. Okay, so it's even kind bad of a mixed bag. I kind of looking towards the middle of the list. Look, I don't even drink coffee, but yeah. I would say I would put it under coffee. Right, um, that's the ceiling. Maybe I would put it with Oreos. I kind of want to put it with Oreos at number 22. No, 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 no. That's underneath I, I blood, which you need to live. Blood's got a lot of negatives towards it. But like, if I look at everything between coffee and blood... These are all th things that are kind of mixed. Like sardines stink. So Watchmen movie to me is more important than Tommy Bahamas shirts, I think. Although I do like the island lifestyle that Tommy Bahamas shirts evoke. I'd be comfortable putting it above Tommy Bahamas shirts and under sardines. Sardines stink, um, so... But they're also a great food like and they're really healthy. They have fish oil. You need it to live. I, I think that's a good place for it. I'll put it above Tommy Bahama shirts. Okay. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Go ahead and put it above blood. So well, No, uh, I kind of wanted it above Tommy Bahama shirts. Well, what about the, what about the fucking island, island lifestyle? lifestyle? Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. So let's put it below Tommy Bahama shirts. So Watchmen is number 21, which is not Watchmen the movie. It's not as good as Tommy yeah. Bahama shirts. All right. There we go. Number 21. It, okay, know, so I, it's a weird sorry. how relatively pain. I always thought when I started this with you, I thought we were just going to be fighting and arguing all the time. But it seems like we can generally reach a consensus on this list. Well, yeah, we we spent quite a bit of time, especially things near the top of the list. We spent quite a bit of time debating them, like Prince and yeah, Donald Duck. Yeah, that's true. We, also, uh, you cut out, out all the part where we really time. fight. Well, yeah, I cut out the part where I insult you and you talk about your appearance and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 it's good. Um, so let's take a break and move on to the last thing. Okay. Okay, we're back. And now we're going to rank the last thing on Thad's list of three things. This is the Watchmen TV series. So this came was on HBO. Year. It came out last yep. year. It's uh, Damon Lindelof making it, right? Yes. And he was really took the thing seriously. The comic made, meant a great deal to him growing up. Um, I think it was his dad's favorite comic or something. He said he wanted to do it right. And what that meant to him was like actually doing something different with it, right? Which is what he did. He also said he really quite liked the movie adaptation and didn't want to follow up on that by making another adaptation. That said, like he didn't like it so much that he used that as a source material because the source material. Um, yeah, for, it's a it's a sequel this to is the comic, comic. Not it's really, a sequel to yeah. the comic. Yeah, in yeah. fact, he refers to it as a remix of the comic, um, but it's really it's a sequel. It, it just happens thirty years later, same universe, some of the same characters. I, I watched it and. I thought, oh, this is good. I liked it. And there were so a couple things in it where I thought, this is incredible. I can't believe this is in a TV show. I, it's being, you know what I mean? That people are going to watch. That more people are going to watch this than ever are going to read that comic in a million years. Oh, yeah. We, by the way, we didn't say spoiler alert for um, yeah, the, for any of the other stuff. But we can say spoiler alert for this, I suppose. Because there probably are way more people that haven't seen this and are going to watch it sooner than there are those other two things so, you mentioned. So there's a particular episode where what they do is they discuss... Some stuff that went on in, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Right. The 1921 Tulsa Black Wall Street riots, which is a real thing that happened that 
that people don't. They actually, they refer to yeah. it in the first episode, but they refer to it even more. And I think the episode that you're going to talk about, which and is it's the, like I think the sixth. Kids growing up don't read them. Don't you don't hear about this stuff in school. You don't see movies. You know, Tom Hanks is in yeah. a movie about this. It's basically like a, a racial pogrom that took place in America in the 20th century. That's not in the deep south to discuss this in like an entertainment program it's really heavy stuff and it's also like i guess you could say important it's kind of too bad that this is it where is important. our education has to come from but that is where it comes from and it's like it's important to be talking about it and there's people who they know about this because of the show right a lot of right, people right yeah like that's probably i would say most people in the u.s yeah they're gonna become aware of this because of the show damon lindelof learned about it uh, because he read Ta-Nehisi Coates. Yeah, yeah. The case of reparations. And before that, many people didn't know about it. There's a couple of really important things about the Black Wall Street massacre. One is that it's an example of white supremacist violence against on a really large scale against black people. But we know there's yeah. been a lot of that. The other important thing about it is that the neighborhood they destroyed as a total middle class black yeah, neighborhood, like a prosperous middle successful, class prosperous. It was called Black Wall Street. This is in 1920, so it was it was like it was, people coming there with oil money. You know, like Oklahoma yeah. was a boom town at the time, and then also it was like the cheerleading of it by like the newspapers and the and the media at the time, or ignoring it. You know, like not yeah. even discussing it because it made the state look bad or because it made the country look right. bad. And there it's were like, literally it's like a really ugly thing in American bombs, history that incendiary it, weapons on this neighborhood uh, on American soil and it was racially motivated yeah, and it yeah. was about keeping black people from having status or social status and collecting wealth. Uh, and there's a big gap like between the Civil War and civil rights movement, it's it's sort of erased from a lot of people's memory that there was a long standing, especially after Reconstruction. Yeah, and I understand it. It's like it's in the South and in the U.S. in general, and Oklahoma is like South adjacent. There's been a campaign by white people, yeah, <laughs> against black people keeping them down, and this is another example of it that is big example that has been essentially erased from yeah yeah and growing up as as white kids we don't learn about it in school and now it falls on this hbo show and then you think like you're this guy you're making a a watchman tv show so they're like what do you want to make it deal with and we're like well let's make it deal with race in america but it also that's not all it deals with it deals with a lot of other things and just like the backdrop of the watchman comic was the cold War, war about nuclear war and fear over nuclear war that doesn't apply you know to current time so he was trying to look for something like that like a you know sort of anxiety uh, in american culture that defined it as a backdrop and that definitely applied in 1919 or so, sorry t- 2019 and as it does today so like that's the thing i gotta say like i respect what they did there's some cool stuff that they did there's this one particular episode it's a flashback and it starts in 1920 or so and, it, and it's right. the life of this guy it's a character who had been in the original watchman but you didn't realize that he was they made him in the black. comic yeah they, yeah they turned him black and they said oh he had always been black and he wore white makeup and then over that he wore his mask on he's like a 1950s superhero yeah. called the hangman who and he's kind in of the comic like, they never revealed but they implied the... he was racist and stuff which is weird because he's yeah, like passing yeah. but i thought they like, never reveal his identity in the comic and he's essentially the first superhero in the universe of this of these yeah. comics and, and, then... and he's based on a real guy like the movie that he was watching at the beginning that was the other yeah. thing is it brought movies into it where he's watching these movies that are based on this real guy that um bass reeves who is a one of the early black Which is US stuff Marshals. I didn't know about. And was he the, I didn't know about him either, and he's a real guy. And he was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. Right. Which was my yep. dad's favorite. The chapter you're telling about the flashback one, the device they use to tell it is is so interesting. It's his his granddaughter, who's the main character of the story. There's a drug in it called nostalgia in the story. Which is makes, based on the perfume from the comic. Yeah, it essentially gives you the memories of another person. And so she takes nostalgia and she is experiencing her grandfather's memories in this weird dream state and 
it's also like in black and white, which is cool. Oh, and also I totally forgot that there's like gay stuff in it too. That he yeah. he was in love with this man, and I want to say that was in the comic too. I don't really remember that. Yeah, there are references to that in the comic. They're not. But really... it it was like they really flipped things around, and I just thought like if you're gonna do it, don't be faithful. Like that's why I like it so much more than the film is like I don't want to see just somebody go through the steps because yeah. that there's already a comic to do that. So like any choice they made that was like had a little bit of courage behind it or was like a little bit crazy stuff or changing it, all that stuff I liked it. To me, the mechanics of it, I didn't, I wasn't really crazy about. Meaning, like the way the story flowed along, the kind of like the main plot and the main storyline yeah, you had issues with, or I, I liked a lot of the little details. I liked that some of the things they changed. I liked some of the things they added. But the problem to me is that Watchmen doesn't really cry out for a sequel. Yeah. I, if you want, you can make a great story. You he could have made the same story without too many changes. <laughs> You know what though? Can you? You're right. Never mind. In, in 2020, like, can you make anything and have it be watched by people without like having it be a superhero comic? Yeah, be a property or... that exists already, or at least have the name of it. Yeah, like, and if you like want to talk about anything and have people hear it. You have to be. It has to be a Transformers or a Zoids crossover. Yeah. If you want to talk about like gender identity, you have to have. It has to be in a Pokemon movie. Right. Yeah. It's weird how that works. Well, that's just because if you want to talk about anything, it has to be in an IP big major movie, and you can talk about like. Uh, uh, trans rights or right. whatnot. I was thinking about this because the movie Aquaman, it's about being biracial. I mean, that's not all it's about, but that's like, there's a lot in there for that. Cause I was reading about like the, um, this guy's biracial. He's like, yeah, there's a, this is a movie that that's what it's yeah. about. Like that's the subject of the movie that I, I kind of missed it. Cause I was just watching yeah, yeah. bullshit and, and seahorses and they're riding on the yeah. you know, giant crab and the people playing the drums. But you're right. I guess you couldn't really make a movie about how we deal with race in America. Like what would that movie you look like? You could make like? it or people would like it, that... but it's not going to get talked about on our podcast. Probably, you know, it, it will eventually cause everything's going to get talked about yeah, on our yeah. podcast, but it's not going to get yeah, talked yeah. about by everybody. It's not going to be on the, fucking emmys necessarily or if it is it's not going to get 26 awards probably so your main problem with it is that it's an adaptation or that it has the title watchman on it i guess it's just that like it doesn't really need to be called watchman but i see your point that like you can't really make something that isn't an existing property anymore you seem to be like more anti-adaptation than i am in general it's not or that anti-sequel. i'm anti it's just like, that it can't do what the original right, but did but it it's can't it, like it's so we're not comparing it but to we're putting the them on a list with the original let's say this i don't think this tv show should go higher than watchmen the comic on the list i think it should go higher than the movie so I, my ceiling is number five and my floor is number 21 uh, there's a couple more things i want to touch upon in the series that don't necessarily have to do with the comics but have to do with why i like the series there's a few things about it in it there's the discussion of race and racial tension and you know Know, really white supremacy and white supremacists is i think you know, obviously important for the time and i think that this series deals with it really well I, i'm impressed that the series made sure that half of the writers were people of color maybe black specifically and also half the writers were women one small like story point in this world is that in the original uh, nixon is president for his like fifth term and in this one robert redford is like Nixon had been president in the 80s and yeah, Robert yeah. Redford isn't president for like, you know, since the 80s or something. And he's giving them the reparations and they got reparations, like... which is a play on the word reparations. And the police in Tulsa in this story, the main characters, part of their job is to enforce the reparations. It occurred to me that reparations is kind of like Obamacare in terms of like them using the name 
And maybe it's even meant to evoke Obamacare because those are yeah, reparations, yeah. but they say Redfordations instead. And everybody refers to them as Redfordations. And it seems to me it could be something that was, It's kind was, of the idea of like you're getting this liberal paradise where it's like what, what should be, right? But the yeah. problem is because there's this like white supremacy under it or this undergirding it that's never going to go away, even if you have all these things that you say you want, if there had been like a liberal Reagan who is basically, I guess this is Robert Redford, right? Yeah. Yeah. Robert Redford should have showed up in it. Yeah. I, I thought he would. It's funny that like he is, he's a real person that is still alive today. The other thing is that it's an explicitly, like the villains in it, some of the main villains are explicitly a uh, white supremacist organization. And I think that that is good and important for our time to... Um... But it's it kind of says that like, that's what white supremacy basically looks like. An evil guy who says, I hate blacks or, you know, like it's, which when, it, when in fact, I don't know if that's really the case. But I understand. Also, you're making a movie, like, or you're making a TV show, I should say. There are real white supremacist terrorist organizations in this country that resemble those in this series in many ways. Uh, and I that get is it. not Man, enough of like, attention is paid to. I'm ready to rank okay. this. I still don't think I can put it above the intro to back that ass up, which is at number seven. I, I feel like I, I could can. probably put it above Jessica Rabbit. I was going to say know? the same thing. I can put yeah. it above Jessica Rabbit. I can. I put feel it like putting above... it below Jessica Rabbit would really be trivializing some of the serious yeah. things it brings up. Whereas. Um, if Jessica Rabbit was like rebooted, if there was like a 12 episode Jessica Rabbit show on HBO that was like serious and kind of dealt with some serious topics, you know, they could deal with like, because she has a, all kinds of issues in her life too. You yeah. know what I mean? And what tunes, tunes are kind of like a racial, the tunes in Roger Rabbit oh, yeah, are kind of sure. like a, there's a racial allegory or they're, you know, they're saying something about race in there. Yeah. We can get into that another time. But I would say the way that that character is presented is not really so complex and is not doing so much in that. No, but, but no, I'm saying... no. She doesn't contribute as much to like the cultural conversation, I think, as this does. So at number 10, we've got land. I almost want to put it above land. Um, I carry a lot less about land. I know that rye bread, I mean, rye bread, I think, is where we might come into conflict. Jake, you ever get off an airplane and then you kiss the, the ground because you're so happy to get off the airplane? No, I don't. Well, I've done that. You ever been on a ship like and you're lost at sea? Like you know that guy in the comic Watchman, the pirate. Yeah, but and what happens gets... to him when he gets to land? He oh, he kills everyone. Yeah. That's a good. Okay, so I think about it like this. You ever been seasick? Um, you're on a boat and you're not, not especially. Good no, here. I've seen people seasick before though. I've been a little bit seasick and stepped off a boat and it feels right. great. Okay. And I've also picked up some dirt and kissed it after I got off an airplane before. So okay, I'm so, saying I like land. Land is really okay. Important. So you know what? You compromised with me with comic book when we were looking at onions. I'm okay with putting the TV series below land at number eleven. Now We've we have done it. we put all three in. We did a perfect. good job. Now we have thirty-two items. We added Watchmen, the comic book, to five, the TV series yeah. to eleven, and the movie in at number twenty-two. Um, still at the top is Prince. Still at the bottom at number 32 is QAnon. Yeah, and thank you for listening. And Oh, and our theme song is by Jay Puget. You can find the updated list of everything and our show notes at everydamthing.net. For the record, in the show notes, we fact check ourselves. We give you further info on what we've discussed in the podcast. We provide links to relevant things. One of our listeners commented to me that um, apparently we make some factual inaccuracies oh that's not that doesn't happen we don't profess to be uh, authorities on everything but we do make some effort to fact check ourselves so um that's somewhere you, where you might be able to see that or also you can send us an email if you want to submit something or if you want to correct us please send that to list at everything.net yeah you know if we get something wrong we want the record to show doesn't mean that the list of every damn thing is going to change but we can't acknowledge when we get something wrong it can through a dark spell. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends about us. What do we say when we say goodbye? We say keep on every in. Nice. Uh, have a good day. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>